Hey, yeah, and what's probably one of the worst sub-story plot lines of this show, if you could even call it that, I did buy another vape today. Just about an hour ago, I decided to go ahead and buy another nicotine vape. After debating it, I just made the decision, and it actually worked out perfectly because I thought I was buying the exact same thing I had. I thought I was buying the exact same one that my friend had that she gave me the other day. And uh, I did buy a peach ice puff, but I just, I saw it there and I knew it was the same brand. I knew it was the same flavor and I just pointed to it and the man gave it to me and it seemed cheaper than I thought it should be. Like I was told that the other one I had was more expensive. And so I thought, hmm, something's a little weird there. But when I opened it up, when he gave it to me, I realized that this is a, this isn't a peach ice puff uh, flow, because the, the one I had the other day was a peach ice puff flow. This is a peach ice puff bar. I'm not even kidding you. This one's called a puff bar. And it is a bar. It's like a USB drive that somebody just elongated. And so it's not nearly as satisfying, because the other thing that I was smoking, the one I was smoking before, even though it was by the same brand, it was round and it was a bit bigger. Take that out of context. But uh, the Peach Ice Puff Flow is round and a bit bigger, holds a lot more. And it's a lot more satisfying. Like there's something more, there was something like a lot more satisfying, a louder crackle. You know, the mouthpiece, the mouthpiece on the Peach Ice Puff Flow was more satisfying. So this is just like a, I mean, this doesn't even have a mouthpiece. It's like you're hitting the end of a USB drive. And it's just like an elongated USB drive. But it actually worked out because this way I get the... I get the sensation that I want from having this. Like I, I get, I get that little bit of nicotine. It's something there is the oral fixation thing, but it's not nearly as satisfying. I was a little disappointed when I opened it. It was cheaper, so I'm not going to have as much. I'm not going to have as much nicotine available. So I feel like this was good because it satisfies the urge, but it's not nearly as satisfying as it could be. Therefore, I'm probably not going to be as likely to get into it permanently. That's what I'm thinking. I don't know. We'll see. No, I'm not planning on being a permanent vape user. But I think it worked out that I didn't get exactly what I wanted because it's it's going to, you know, it's going to scratch the itch a little bit without, you know, just because if I got what I wanted, I'd probably just be right on track to getting those all the time. I don't know. The other one was phallic. That's the worst. Isn't it the worst when people refer to objects or shapes as phallic? It's like this humanities 101 realization. Oh, objects are phallic. They're the same shape as a dicky. And it's also like one of the worst observations when people... I mean, speaking of all this gender stuff in the last episode, I always find it's like one of the worst observations to be like, oh, men men design things to look like they're dicky. Men design things to be a phallic object. How do you explain bananas? God designed bananas because he created man in his image and he wanted man to see an object in nature that reminded him him of his dicky. And to encourage man to create more objects of all sizes. Someday you'll create a vape pen because it's the shape of your dicky. Clearly vape pens were designed in the shape they are just to satisfy men's need to represent their dicky in all shapes and sizes, just like rockets. You know, people say that about missiles and rockets, even dudes. Like, like I remember there was some punk band that had an album title. There was something to that effect. Uh, You know, missile cock, something or another, you know, and it's just, uh, I don't know, I, I always just, roll my eyes internally. I roll my internal eyes because I never roll my actual eyes. I don't believe in doing that. But I roll my internal eyes when I hear that because it's like, or, you know, maybe it's the fact that certain shapes lend themselves to certain purposes and actually require some, some purposes, some actions depend on certain shapes. It turns out a rocket depends on the shape that it has. And maybe, just maybe, we evolved with our dickies in a similar shape for a similar reason, because it was conducive to a certain 
behavior or process. I don't know. I barely believe in evolution, but I do believe in evolution when it comes to why our dickies look the way they do. And I think we live in a world where elongated, long objects that are around serve a certain function. It turns out men make all kinds of objects. Oh, stone columns are so foul. Oh, they decorated the garden. They decorated the royal garden with a bunch of stone columns because they're phallic. And the king wanted to you know, see a representation of his dicky everywhere when he took his strolls through the botanical garden. It's like, Or maybe they just made stone columns because they obviously serve a purpose when they prop something up. Obviously, they look elegant. They're very decorative. Oh, and it turns out people make all kinds of things in all kinds of shapes. Some of them could be called phallic. Some of them could be called anything. It turns out that making rockets and missiles shaped like vaginas didn't do anything. Turns out that doesn't work. Turns out making rockets and missiles that look like vaginas, they don't go anywhere if you do that. Turns out the dicky has nothing to do with why rockets are shaped like rockets. And scientists didn't sit around. And, and trust me, I never defend scientists. I'll defend individual scientists, but I never defend scientists on the whole. But I can guarantee you that scientists weren't sitting around thinking, you know, oh, yeah, this is this kind of works. But uh, you, this works. Yeah, yeah, this shape works. But, you know, let's try to do it in the shape of a dicky. Let's give a shout out to the patriarchy by making rockets look like a dicky. I can guarantee you scientists weren't having that conversation. So anytime someone points out something as phallic, it's just like, turns out that's just one of many shapes that people use. And sometimes it serves a very specific purpose, whether it's pillars, rockets, bananas, dickies, vape pens. Turns out that just is a natural shape that we have to use for certain purposes. Oh, what, vape pens don't look enough like vaginas for you? Yeah, you could design that. You could design it. But still, you'd probably still have to make it somehow phallic. You'd have to make it a fairly phallic vagina for it to work properly as a vape pen, for it to be at all useful to a vaping to a vape user. But now I want to riff a little more on... I'm, I'm just all on this... Uh, this, is, I'm, this is now a men's rights show, I guess. This is now a men's rights show. I'm defending phallic shapes. I'm, I have reactionary opinions to search categories on video game websites that refer to female protagonists. And I, I have more to say about that. I do. You know, because to me, it's, it's, not that, it's not that I care that you can search for video games that have lead female characters. I mean, I think if that's what you're into and you want to search for it, that's why I don't want to say it It shouldn't be there. I don't want to say that, like, somebody should take that down. Somebody should remove that category. I'm so bothered by it. It's more just that I don't even think it's about, like, what people want. I don't even think it's about, like, people searching for that. To me, it's just, it's this pointless identity statement in a sea of identity statements And the reason I ranted about that last episode, as if I need to explain it, but the reason I ranted about that is because it's just, it's part of this overall trend. And the reason I gave these examples of video games from the 90s where people didn't seem to have any issue or even a need to point out the fact that these wildly popular influential video games had women leads, female protagonists, like the reason I was talking about that is because it this. This seems to be a, a response to something else, which is this larger push toward identity and this, this preoccupation and obsession with identity in particular. And this show, I try to get away from the obvious identity politics conversation because so many people cover it on every end of the spectrum. There are so many people talking about this at all times, whether they're on the left or the right. Or the center. I mean, centrists, the thing is, centrists are really like in their heyday right now because they can complain about everybody's obsession with identity politics. Like they can they get to be the people who are 
They don't like the way the right deals with identity. They don't like the way the left deals with identity. And they get to interview psychologists and authors, and they can all complain about everybody's obsession with identity. And, you know, maybe I'm guilty of that. But I I try to avoid that particular topic because it's so covered. I mean, you can't avoid it. It's like current events or something where you can't possibly avoid that entirely. It's so built into the conversation these days, every conversation. I mean, that's what I mean about going to the video game website. And it's like, they're making a point by including that. Because the reality is there are a lot of video games with female protagonists. And it's not very difficult to find them on this site. Like I stumble across, like, trust me, I don't search for things using the parameter female protagonist. Yet just looking at the games I look at, I'm stumbling across female protagonists left and right. So while I think it's cool if people want to search for that and if people want to include that as a category, I think it's less, I think it's it's more of a, a statement they're making. And But anyway, just to wrap up what I'm saying here, is like I try to avoid this topic of identity politics because it's, I, I don't even like saying that phrase. I don't even like the phrase identity politics. Um, and, and so many people have covered this and are covering it right now. As I speak, somebody is doing another podcast about identity politics, and they're interviewing somebody, and they're like, "I just don't, I just don't get it." Like, like, why is the left doing this? So, and then you see where this is making the right do this, and you know, they're just somebody right as I speak. Probably like twenty people are doing podcasts about this same subject. So I, I don't take any pleasure in talking about it, especially like I'm talking about something new. Like, oh, nobody's ever thought about this. Hey, hey, hey. What's with the preoccupation with identity? But sometimes I got to talk about it. And when I do, it happens to involve video game websites. Uh, but but just to like riff on that a little bit more, you know, what it makes me think of is, I hate to even get into that. I, I apparently hate to get into anything. I kind of do. I kind of hate to talk about anything, yet I have a podcast that I do sometimes multiple times a day. But that's just life. But... A little while back, there's a girl I know from town here, not a friend of mine, I don't even know, you know, kind of an acquaintance, like somebody I was very close to was her roommate. And I have a lot of respect for this girl, like this this woman, whatever you want to say, I don't, you know, girl, woman, this person, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for her, you know, because we always got along fine, like we weren't friends, but I felt like there was mutual respect during the the small window of time where this person and I were around each other. And, uh, you know, while I could tell even back then that like I didn't see politically eye to eye with this person, I never felt any disrespect or anything like that uh, about how they viewed the world. Um, but I saw something that she said, because she, she had joined a band with some guys. I know one of the guys, like he's an old friend of mine. It, not a good friend. Like he's somebody who I run into him like once every two years and we have a brief, awkward conversation and wish each other well, basically. But he's a very talented guy and he, you know, has played in a lot of bands and he has a lot of respect. He, he's earned a lot of respect from people. And so she joined a band with this guy and it was just kind of like a rock band, kind of like old school heavy metal influence, you know, just that sort of thing. And uh, this girl posted this thing online and it was a, it was a band full of guys. She joined this band full of guys. And I remember at the time kind of thinking good for her. Like, you know, those, those guys have like, she's, she's younger and, you know, kind of coming up, like not, not even like a thing where it's like, Oh, this is going to be such a good opportunity for her. Oh my God. Like this, this woman has an opportunity just to, as a simple, like as a human being, it was just like, Oh, from knowing this girl for a brief time, I could tell that she really wanted the approval of her peers and hadn't received it yet. And she had an opportunity as a human being to receive more approval from her peers by playing music with people who have, at least locally, a lot of respect from people. And I don't, the thing is, like, I'm not even a fan. Like, I'm not a fan of this band. I'm not even a fan of the other associated bands. But I, I know one of the guys and I know you know, what he puts into stuff and, and that kind of thing. So I was just like, oh, good for her. Good for her that she's playing music with these guys. And they had a band for a while. And I'm not going to give any identifying information. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that this would ever even be heard by anybody who's connected to it. And I'm being vague on purpose. 
But anyway, so they played in this band and did a couple albums and stuff. And I don't know how how much notoriety they got or anything like that. Obviously, just a, a fairly small band though. But did they did stuff? And I saw this thing she said, and I, I, hesit, I hesitate to even talk about it because I don't want this to come across like mean spirited because that's I don't it's not what I mean at all. But what what she said recently was, or like a couple months ago, I think it was. I saw this thing she said where she said. I tried, and I'm quoting her here. She she wrote this. She said, "I tried to infiltrate the patriarchy of rock dudes in this town, and it almost destroyed me." And she's referring to being in this band. And I couldn't believe what I read. Like I, like I could, because I see people say shit like this all the time. But like knowing the people she was in a band with, and even knowing her a little bit. It was just so bizarre to me that she was framing it that way, that like apparently this band broke up, which I wouldn't even have known about. I don't pay attention to this stuff, but she said, I tried to infiltrate the patriarchy of like local rock dudes and it almost destroyed me. I'm quoting her almost verbatim. You know, I don't have the quote saved. I didn't frame it and put it on my kitchen wall, but I couldn't believe her phrasing like how disingenuous like you you were joining this band with a bunch of dudes who are very liberal first of all like the thing about this group of dudes in the band is like they're all freaking liberals and i don't know how well they live up to that you know i mentioned in the last episode that some dudes will claim to be liberals meanwhile they're the worst of all meanwhile they treat women the worst of all i don't think that's true for these guys from what i know about them i don't know i have no reason to defend them they're not my people I mean, if she knew my people, she'd be horrified. Like, if she thinks these guys are the patriarchy of rock dudes and and they represent something that needs to be infiltrated, like, I, I can't even imagine subjecting her to the sort of people I know, let alone me. Like, I'm glad she didn't get to know me better during the brief time that, you know, I was around her. Because uh, it was just like, man, like you, you saw joining this band with these guys as infiltrating the patriarchy of local rock dudes. I wish I was making this up. I wish I was making it up. And I don't say this to mock her, even though you could easily mock somebody for saying that. I say it, it's because it made me sad. It was like, you were joining this band where like knowing the guys she was in a band with, I think they were just ready to like, hey, let's start a band and do something cool. The the guy that I know, the one that's an old friend of mine, like, I know that that's his approach to everything. Like, he just likes to do things. He likes to have, cre- he's a very creative guy, and he just likes to do things and, and put his all into it. And so, to, like, to, to approach it, and I'm not even saying she did. I mean, that's, that's kind of like retconning things, too. Like, I doubt she even thought that when she joined the band. I doubt she thought, I'm going to... In- oh, no. And what she said in this this thing, too, is something she posted, because I'm still connected to her online. She also said, like, I was hoping to change hearts and minds. That was what it was. It said, like, I tried to infiltrate the local patriarchy of rock dudes to change hearts and minds, but it almost destroyed me. And it's just like, change hearts and minds? Like, what about these guys even needed to be changed? Like, you're just trying to control people? Like, these guys are already, like, far left, more or less. Like, the dude I know, like, he supports free speech for sure. But these guys, like, the most offensive thing about them is is inoffensive toilet humor. Like, they're not people who are out there trying to provoke or offend. You know, I've never heard anything particularly bad about their reputations. To me, they, they just kind of toe the liberal line when it comes to politics based on, like, who they're associated with and all that. And it's like, I doubt she even... When she joined that band, I bet she was just excited to be in a band with cool people. You know? So it's like she's she's even, like, retconning her own joining the band. is like, like she's Donnie Brasco. Oh, I'm gonna... Like, these are a bunch of guys who work in food service. They all have dead-end jobs in food service and play in small to medium-sized bands. Like, you're not infiltrating the Rolling Stones. You're not a secret agent infiltrating Led Zeppelin, as if that would even be something. As if Led Zeppelin or the Rolling Stones are the patriarchy of rock dudes. You know what I mean? And so it's like she's even retconning her own, like, entry into this band, like she's Donnie Brasco or something. And it just made me sad because it's like, you made yourself sick. 
you know, I said that recently about some other stuff, but it's, it's just something I keep coming back to where I'm like, you're making yourself sick. And I don't want people to give the, imp- I don't want to give any listeners here the impression that I've made myself sick with all this. Like I saw, I saw that a website like puts an emphasis on female protagonists in video games. And I thought it was kind of a symptom of exactly what I'm talking about here with this patriarchy of rock dudes narrative this girl was presenting. It's the same thing to me. It's like you're creating a weird, you're creating dissonance where it didn't exist. You're creating an argument where it didn't exist. And there are real arguments to be made. You know, there are real statements to be made about what men do and what they're capable of. You know, that's and that stuff's no joke. I mean, like I've had close female friends who I obviously won't name who have told me absolute horror stories in private, in confidence about things men have done to them. And I believe every word of it. I've also I, I had a, a friend tell me something once, a different friend that on a gut level, I didn't believe. So it's not that I, you know, but I but it wasn't my place to question her. You know, the, when, when this one person told me something that just didn't really sit right with me, like on a gut level, I just thought, this kind of sounds like it's not the entire story or, or there's some BS being told here. Even though I felt that way deep down when I was hearing this one thing, I also knew it wasn't my place to say, that sounds like a lie. You know, I knew it wasn't my place to do that. But then in these other instances where I've had close female friends tell me things, Show, they've shown me things like, I mean, I, I have a friend who has a very public job that puts her in contact with a lot of people. And she would show me like we'd be out and she'd show me these messages she received. Like she would actually show them to me. And it'd be dudes like under their own names who would like find her on Facebook or social media or accounts. And while some of it was just like repeated like there was a dude who he was just repeatedly asking her out. This weird little nerdy, awkward guy, you know, not a not a very intimidating guy in his own right, but nonetheless a man. And he was just he would message her like she wouldn't reply, and he would just message her asking her out on weird dates. Like one of one of the messages was like, "Do you want to go for a jog?" And it's like, who goes on a on a first date that's a jog? Like that's fucking bizarre. Like let's go get sweaty and run around. And the guy wasn't in good shape or anything, so it's is really weird. And at some point, that just becomes harassment for the sake of harassment. Like, you're not replying to me at all. I'm asking you to go for a jog on a first date. That's really strange. But she would also get things that were extremely aggressive, uh, like just explicit sexual harassment. And so I've seen all that. I've seen what people will say. You know, it's like I'm not one of these people who like, oh, everything women say is nonsense. You know, I'm not one of these people at all as if I need to give a disclaimer. But I do think the entire spectrum needs to be represented in this conversation. And so I've seen that. I've heard absolute horror stories about sexual assault that were told to me in confidence, in private, casually. Like not, I'm going to sit you down and tell you about my trauma. Just, you know, that's the amazing thing is the women I've known who have experienced significant trauma will tell you about it really casually. And I know that's probably not true with everyone, but the ones that I've known have told me very casually about it to the point where I'm the one who's like, oh my God, like I'm the one who's taken aback. And they're like, what? You know, that happened. And uh, I guess, you know, it's just interesting. So it's, it's like, it's not like I'm sitting here saying there's nothing for women to ever complain about. It's like men kill women at an at a, a extremely high rate. <laughs> Uh, you know, compared to women killing men, you know, men are, you know, capable of monstrous acts, especially toward women. I, I know I've, I've spent years studying that, you know, I studied true crime, you know, I've, I, I've really, you know, there's something in men that causes them to be predators at a, at a far higher rate in a much more explicit way. Like, yeah, women are capable of being predators as well, but not in the same way men are. So point being is just that, like, this this stuff where it's like, oh, video games with a female protagonist. We have a need for a female protagonist in this genre where female protagonists are already completely accepted by even masculine dudes. Oh, I tried to infiltrate the patriarchy of local rock dudes to change hearts and minds. 
and it nearly destroyed me. You're just making yourself a victim for pointless reasons. Out of all the things that men do to women, you tried to, these dudes wanted to be in a band with you because they thought you were cool. And it turns out you actually are. Like in my limited experience, I thought you were cool too. And you retconned the whole experience to be this infiltration of the, the rock dude patriarchy, whatever the hell that is. It just makes me sad. It doesn't. It's not like I'm saying this like in some sort of mean, spirited, spiteful way. Like, how dare you, you stupid! You know, it's not, it's not like I'm coming from that place. I'm just. It just makes me sad that people twist themselves up that badly. And while while like the female protagonist category on a video game website isn't the same as that, I do feel like these are all symptoms of something. It's all very forced. It all feels very manufactured. And I guess like part of my view on this stuff when it comes to gender and women and independence and feminism and all that, a lot of it's colored through the way I was raised where I was raised to be very comfortable with women in dominant roles. Like I lived with a single mom and my sister was seven years older. So like my entire childhood and while my dad was a part of my life and he took me to football games and, you know, I saw him regularly, like as far as my daily life goes, I was with women older than me who basically ran my life as a, as a kid. And the, the thing that's interesting is like, while my sister, I think would probably call herself a feminist and she'll occasionally kind of like talk about empowerment. And she seems to do that more now. I'm not trying to like uh, call her out or anything, but I just, I've noticed that she does that a lot more now than she did when she was younger, even though she was always very like, she was an environmentalist and she was on the left and everything going back to when she was like a teenager. I never really heard her like emphasize feminism too much. She just kind of did what she wanted. She was always independent. Um, but my mom in particular is the one that I think really had the biggest impact on me because, you know, my mom was a product like she turned 18 in 1966. So she was like right at the perfect age to go through the women's liberation thing. But she really didn't like she didn't go through all the politics. She didn't go through all the protests like she didn't participate in that because she was this girl from poverty who had to like find a career and make a life for herself and became a stewardess. So I don't think at any point she stopped to be like, this is a political statement. I think my mom just knew that she had to survive and create a life for herself on her own without any family support or resources. And that was the sort of woman she was to me growing up, where it was just my mom never once act, acted like a victim or you know, asked, asked for any pity to be placed upon her as a single mother. She just did what she had to do. She just, she was always just confident in, her, in herself. And I know not everybody is like that, but it's like my mom came from a background where she easily could have used any sob story available. She certainly had many that she could have used, but she didn't. And so I grew up seeing that and I can't hold everybody to that standard, you know, but at the same time, it's like she didn't even buy into this stuff in recent years, like up until her passing, even though she was a Democrat, she didn't get sucked into the narrative. And that's what this is. These are all these symptoms. They're symptoms of a narrative where it's like everything has to be channeled through this way of talking and way of thinking to where this girl who joined this band with these dudes who just wanted to make music with her, these liberal dudes who are probably, I know they're imperfect because everybody is, but I know these guys, I'm sure these guys are imperfect. They're not my people. I'm sure I would have problems with them. <laughs> you know, they'd, they'd probably feel like I was a, a problem if they played music with me or something. But uh it just blew my mind that this girl like had framed just playing in a band with dudes as this infiltrating the patriarchy, you know, narrative. She in her mind, she's the female protagonist when in those dudes mind, it's like in between toilet humor. They're just like wanting to play in a cool band, I'm sure. And people make themselves sick. They make themselves deeply sick. And I guess I see so much of it on the left because I'm surrounded by it. And, you know, the right gets sidetracked too. I mean, I think a good example of this is what we see in advertising where... Let me vape. It's not as satisfying. I'm not going to be vaping as much because it's not this uh, peach ice puff bar. It's not quite as satisfying, but that's good. It's good that it's not as satisfying. 
So you could hear that like wheezing sound. You didn't hear the crackle. You can hear a very slight crackle if you listen close, close, closely. But, you know, it's just not as satisfying. But anyway, what I was going to say is, you know, something I see people, more conservative-minded people, more reactionary-minded people, sidetracked by is like, there's no white men in advertisements anymore. And it's true. Like, if you look at advertising today, I mean, I mean, since last summer, like, pretty much every advertisement I see is a black person. It's just, it's, that's all you see now because of, like, you know, just the way social politics have gone. Almost every advertisement, uh, you know, is heavily represented by black people, which I couldn't care less about one way or another. Because, I mean, what's funny about people on the right being upset about this is that it's like, when advertisements are catering to you, when, when like your identity is being targeted by advertisers, they see you as prey. They're trying to sell you something, and it's probably something you don't need. Because if you truly need it, it doesn't matter who's on the advertisement. It doesn't matter whether it's a man, woman, or, um, you know, it could be a toy. It could be a teddy bear in the advertisement. If it's something you really need, that's not going to make a difference. If you know it's a quality product that is necessary for your life. Like if I go to the grocery store to buy bananas, because apparently bananas are my, my example today. It's because I'm in the kitchen and I can see them. This is like that. It's like when people are freestyling, but they're just referencing objects around them. Like a banana, glass of water, you know, a cup of coffee. It's like, oh, you're just in a kitchen looking around. You're not creative. No, but that's me today. I'm just like looking at bananas. But no, it's like if I go to the grocery store to buy bananas, something that I need the potassium, I enjoy bananas. It doesn't make a difference if there's a big advertisement above the bananas with a certain type of person on it. I'm still going to look for the bananas that I want to get, the good bananas. That's what we call the good bananas. I'm going to I'm still going to get what I consider good bananas no matter what's being advertised to me. And it doesn't matter whether you put a man you could put me on the advertisement. You could take a picture of me, an actual picture of me and put them on the banana sign. And it's not going to change how many bananas I buy. I mean, actually, to be fair, if I saw myself, if I like didn't know this was happening, if somebody took a candid photo of me and turned it into a banana advertisement at a store that I'm going to, I'd probably buy all the bananas just out of principle. I'd be like, these must be my bananas. I'm going to buy them. No, but the reality is it's like somebody could look exactly like me on an advertisement. And if it's not something that I'm already looking for, or that I already need, it's not going to trick me into buying it. So it's like when you see all the advertisements that cater now to a diverse group of people, you know, they see those people as targets. It's not a compliment. Well, I understand representation. I understand that people want to feel represented. And if you're left out entirely from advertisements, I understand that your natural feeling is I'm being marginalized. I'm being left out. And maybe that's what minorities have felt for many years back when advertising used to be more white dominated, you know, whatever it was, maybe people felt left out. But I don't think they realize that it's not necessarily the most desirable place to be when companies are like, you're easy prey. We, in our minds as a corporation, if we put you on the packaging, you're more likely to buy our stuff. I don't necessarily think of that as a desirable outcome to be like, my goal is to be, have people on advertisements look like me. It just means corporations are coming, coming for you. They want your money and maybe you want to give it to them because they, they represent you. I don't know. I can't say what other people feel, but I know that for me personally, while I'm very aware of the fact that white men are extremely difficult to find in advertising today, I'm not necessarily upset about it because I'm just like, well, hey, they're not trying to target me. You know, they're not trying to get my money. And of course it has other implications and you, but you can see where like reactionaries are like, I don't feel represented now. I don't feel represented now because I'm not in the advertising anymore. And I understand that. I understand feeling left out. And people would and people would say in response to that, oh, the white man feels left out. Big deal. Which kind of plays into what we see with TV commercials now, which this is really interesting. 
you know, and I, I've noticed this myself and I know that others have noticed it because you can't not notice it if you're paying attention. But it, I only see this during football season, which tells me it must be everywhere because you think about football and like who commercials during football games are advertising to. And it's a pretty mainstream population. Like the sort of commercials that play during football games are pretty much as mainstream as it gets. I mean, they're on major network channels during prime time, during football, NFL games, professional sports. So you can imagine these are the most mainstream that commercials get. And I've noticed in recent years, it's been going on for years, but it's gotten just more and more, is that not only you know do you obviously have diversity represented in commercials, but often if there is a white man in the commercials, he's the butt of the joke. He does something completely humiliating, and women and minorities mock him for it. And I'm talking about like every other commercial. I'm not even exaggerating. Like during football season, and and if you don't have TV, you might not notice this, but it's like every other commercial is basically a white man doing something really embarrassing and stupid and everybody else mocking him. And I think that's a little different. Like that's different than just being left out. I do think there is something kind of nefarious to that what's being communicated and it kind of plays into how mainstream the anti-white conversation has become because if, if commercials during football games are, are doing that to the degree they're doing it, and not just commercials for products because that's the case but also you'll notice like advertisements for new uh, sitcoms are often about they often involve like a black neighbor with, who has a white neighbor who's like a man and the man of the relationship, like the white man in the relationship is just out of touch. And all the jokes kind of revolve around that, at least what you can see from the commercials for these sitcoms. And these are all like fly by night sitcoms. You know, nobody's going to be creating a new classic sitcom. Like the era of sitcoms is over. So they're just trying to cash in on whatever buzz is still, I mean, there's not even a buzz. There's no buzz for sitcoms. So it's like they're just trying to cash in on the corpse of the sitcom, which had its peak a long time ago. You know, probably peaked in the 70s and then just still because because nothing new had been created in the 70s and or sorry, because nothing new had been created in the 80s and 90s. That was still a popular format, just the sitcom. Like everybody loves those early 90s sitcoms. But you can see like throughout towards the end of the 90s and into the 2000s where sitcoms are already obviously dying. And so now whatever's left of the sitcom idea is just a corpse. And so you can see that they're just blowing a little bit of air into this corpse, like letting its lungs puff up only to puff down. These are fly-by-night sitcoms. But it's been interesting during football season to watch this because I've just noticed that the commercials tend to use the same formula and it seems like the jokes that they showcase on uh, these ads for the new sitcoms are the same thing where it's usually an out of touch white dude doing something embarrassing and his wife and the minority neighbors mocking him for it or saying like or acting embarrassed it's like the formula is basically like the white man is going to do something that makes everybody else cringe. And that's the punchline. Do I care? Not really. Do I think there is something deliberate about it? Yeah. I think, I think that there is a, definitely a certain, they, they clearly, at the very least, they strategically chose who is going to do what. And, and they strategically chose the white man to be, the clown, you know, and that's just the nature of things now. That's just the, that's, that's been the cultural, that's been uh, just the direction culture has been heading at for, heading in for years. And we can see where even just mainstream socio-political conversations mirror that. But I think the right wing and I think reactionary conservatives do themselves a disservice by responding too much to that. Like my take is I notice it. I notice it. It makes me, I'm very aware of it. I'm very aware of it. I don't feel victimized. I don't feel like complaining about it. And what's funny is even me pointing this out. And I, if you don't believe me, I recommend just watch mainstream television and just pay attention to who is doing what in commercials, who is doing what in sitcom ads. I don't know what it's like. Maybe these sitcoms themselves have more going on. 
the the advertisements for these sitcoms follow this formula very closely and commercials do it a lot as well commercials do it a ton it's amazing how much they do it and so if you don't believe me or you think that i'm on some weird conspiratorial kick just watch it if you don't have cable well then you can't but if you have a chance to watch TV, just watch this. Well, especially, maybe it's only during football season. Maybe it's only during football season they show commercials that follow this formula. And even me pointing this out will come across a certain way to somebody, and that's okay. It's something that is going on. And I, you know, I am critical of conservatives who invest too much energy in responding to it. It's one thing to notice it, because I think you should notice it. I think you should be aware of it, because if you're not aware of it, I do wonder, I, I question your pattern recognition, whether you're able to like pick up on patterns when you see them, because there's a very clear pattern going on here. And, and it shows you that, you know, where the cultural power is. The cultural power is on the left, and it has been for years, and it hasn't really mattered who's been in office. The culture has veered dramatically left over the last 15 years. And that's, you can see that in advertising and the way that movies and TV, the direction that movies and TV go in. Because I was thinking, like, it wouldn't surprise me with all these Amazon delivery drivers out there lately that you see these little Amazon vans. It's an Amazon van. And with everybody's, like, newfound obsession with true crime, you know, I was thinking, like, I'm surprised somebody hasn't come out with a movie already that's about an Amazon driver who kills people. Oh, it's about, a, it's about this. Have you heard of the, the Amazon killer? He's an Amazon driver who kills people. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, the reason that can't exist is because Amazon would never allow it. Amazon would never allow a movie to come out that's about a, a delivery driver of theirs who kills people unless the delivery driver was black and he was killing white supremacists. Then it would be on Netflix tomorrow. But, uh, you know, it's just that sort of, that's the, the sort of cultural tone that's going on where you, I'm just aware of it. I'm allowed to be aware of it. And, you know, I don't believe in making a big deal about it. I don't believe in infiltrating it. Because, you know, honestly, my opinion is that the culture has become so rotten inside that all of this stuff that it's holding up is just going to collapse. And it's not rotten because of this in particular. This is just one symptom of the rot. In the same way that, you know, other things are symptoms of something larger. You know, I was talking about earlier with the identity thing. You know, we see these symptoms all over the place, and it's very easy to focus on the symptoms. Like when conservative, reactionary right-wingers are like, how come there's no white guys in commercials anymore? How come there's no white guys in banking advertisements? How come there's no white men represented no more? You know, when they focus on that, it's like you're just focusing on one symptom of something, and you yourself acting that way is another symptom. The fact that you feel the need to frame it that way and respond that way is another symptom. It's not constructive what you're doing because you're now playing the victim game because that's the problem with the whole identity thing is that it allows everyone to play the victim. And some victims get propped up, some victim narratives become more popular than others but it allows everybody to play it if they want it goes back to that game of ping pong i was talking about recently where it's like people swinging at nothing people playing this game of ping pong pretending there's a ball they're swinging at when really they're just swinging at dead air over and over again and you know, and that's what ends up happening when white men on the right wing or whoever they are they don't have to be on the right wing but they could be centrist they could be anybody honestly they could be on the left wing but just if you're a white man and you're like oh hey they're not showing any white men in advertisements anymore and when they do it's the white man getting humiliated by everybody else that makes me feel like a victim so guess what i'm going to complain about you know that's not a good way to channel that energy it's not a good way you should be aware of it but you should be disciplined enough to not respond that way because that's not going to help you achieve what you want to achieve. You know, that's not going to get anybody out of the situation we're in. It's not going to it's not going to repair the rot. And I'm at a point where like, you know, on, on a cultural level, I am so disinterested in everything. 
you know, I am so disinterested in what's going on in TV, movies, music. I, I don't listen to very much music anymore. I don't pay attention to much at all. Like, even the internet has become really disinteresting. Like, even the internet is filled with rot. Like, when you think about, like, the sort of humor you see, like, what has become the common, you know, internet sense of humor, like, the sorts of jokes that you see everywhere, the sorts of little, like, cute phrases, it's like, I don't want any part of that either. But yet I'm not bored and I'm not miserable. So what's going on? If I don't like TV, I don't like movies, I, I barely like music, I barely get anything out of the internet, what is there? <laughs> well, I actually, I genuinely love life. I genuinely love what it is to be alive. I genuinely love having a certain level of control over what I can focus on, what I can do, who I am. Spirituality plays a role, but so do other things. You know, is that going to create the world I want? I don't know, but it feels more constructive than just getting sucked into the cultural rot and becoming just another symptom. You know, I was thinking another example of this is uh, I've read almost no modern comic books, but one was recommended to me called Saga, S-A-G-A, kind of a modern sci-fi. I didn't love the artwork, didn't hate it either. It's not the worst modern comic book art. But it does kind of look like a combination between like cool drawings and graphic design where it's like there still is something unmistakably digital to it and kind of experimental in this way that I don't entirely like. But it's a, you know, it's a popular comic. I'm sure many people have heard of it, Saga. And, you know, the premise of it is basically like these two aliens of different races who are fighting on different sides of a war get together and have a kid who has traits of both of her parents. I think the kid's name is Saga. But she has I think she has like wings like her mom that she then they keep them hidden cuz they're small and so like they keep those hidden. So it's like there's there's a sort of like political aspect where it's like nobody's supposed to know that this little girl is the product of two warring alien races. And there's a lot of other stuff going on. I read basically 3 volumes of this which, um, I don't know how many issues that works out toward, but let's just say three or four volumes. I don't remember exactly how many, I think it was three. So I read quite a bit though. I got, I definitely dug in. I got like my, you know, I carved out a certain uh, amount of space for this thing some years back, about five years ago. And I enjoyed it. You know, it wasn't for me. I didn't feel like it was my thing. But for a modern comic, I was like, you know, I'm interested in this story. I'm interested in these characters. And I think, like, the idea of, like, the the interracial alien girl, like, I, I like that idea. I think you can... It's like a Romeo and Juliet idea, even. You know, it's like forbidden love. It plays on some of the classic themes. But at times, there there was definitely a tone to it where it was, like, trying to force a progressive message into the story. And even when it was recommended to me, a friend of mine recommended it. Good, smart guy, but definitely very far left. And when he recommended it, he said, you know, it's very progressive, which is awesome. Like one of his selling points to me was that this comic is great because it's so progressive. And in my mind, it was like, huh, you know, that's not really a selling point for me. Not that it's not, not that I won't enjoy it if it's progressive, but it was weird that like before he even mentioned story, artwork, all of the things that draw me to a comic book, one of the things that he told me as a selling point was that it was so progressive. And to me, it just, it, that feels phony to me. Maybe it's not to this guy, like I'm not talking shit on him, but it was just kind of like, huh, that's not what's going to draw me to a comic book. And when I read it, like, for the most part, like, yeah, there are some progressive themes to it. And I think some of those themes actually make it what it is. For a sci-fi comic, I mean, you can fit those themes in, especially a sci-fi comic that's that's detached from Earth. You know, it's about a different world, different worlds. So it's like the progressive sort of tone of it. I felt like fit with the story, you know, in many ways. But there are certain points in the comic where you, I just kind of rolled my eyes, like there was a part, for example, where the little girl wanders into 
I think she goes into like a female shower room at this detainment camp and she comes across a woman with a penis and she's like shocked. The little girl is shocked because there's this woman with a penis and it like shows it and everything. Uh, A woman with a, excuse me, a woman with a dickie. And then the woman with the dickie goes on this like long tangent explaining to the little girl like basically transgenderism. But it was one of those things where like the fourth wall was completely broken. Like they could have done it, I felt like in a much more, in a much more story friendly way. But it felt like in this moment, it felt like that character was giving you the reader this PSA. It was like they broke the fourth wall and were trying to like convince you to accept that. And it's like it's not even a they could have easily integrated this character into the story in a way that was natural. But it was just it's it's progressivism as a selling point, like the guy who recommended it to me. And I actually didn't buy it for myself. I I bought it for my girlfriend at the time. And then I broke up with her before I was able to give it to her. So I read it (laughs) and uh I guess the thing about it, though, was just that, like, when the little girl comes across this, it's like the way that the character explains how a woman can have a dicky. It, it just felt like this, like, fourth wall was being broken, and they were trying to convince you, the reader, to accept it or, like, to... I don't know. It just it, it didn't feel natural to me, and I was like, oh, this is what that guy liked. This is, like, when the guy told me, oh, it's it's... First of all, it's so progressive... This is what appealed to him in that way is that it breaks the fourth wall with its with its progressivism, which, you know, I don't want that from anybody like I don't want I'm not really a fan of any kind of media that does that. That's like where the intention is too clear, where they break that wall and are just like, just so you know, you should change your mind about this. Like, I'm not looking for that from a comic. I don't know. It's like Spawn never seemed to like while Spawn used these religious themes and characters from hell and, you know, the devil and God for that matter and all these things. Like I never felt like and I reread a bunch of Spawn comics a while back, but I never felt in Spawn like they were breaking the fourth wall and trying to make a statement to you, the reader, about heaven and hell and God and religion. Well that's a theme it never really felt like you were expected to like reach a certain place with it. It was just something that complemented the story, which involved a character who goes to hell and gets sent back to earth. And I understand like socio-political themes are different, but when it's too overt, I just can't get into it, which is why I don't like a lot of media that deals in political commentary. Like I don't know what the right-wing equivalent of that is because it's rare to find it. But I'm not looking for the right wing equivalent of that either. Where like the fourth wall is broken and they try to explain to you like why a woman with a dickie is bad. You know, I'm not looking for that either. I'm just looking for something that feels natural rather than forced. I'm looking for something that doesn't play that darn game that everybody's playing. I'm looking for something that doesn't make me say, oh, no, it's a symptom of what's going on. You know, because that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like to continually run into these things. It it feels like, oh, this is yet another symptom. You know, something is so twisted up that there are these symptoms playing out everywhere. And we focus on those individual symptoms like they are the thing. Like when that girl went on this rant about trying to infiltrate the rock dude patriarchy of Olympia, Washington and change their minds like these dudes who probably ultimately agree with her on almost everything and probably treat her pretty respectfully I don't know I don't don't know what her situation is with them but I don't know I you know I would hate for them to hear this I don't think they will I can't imagine they will but it's just like when I see that I'm like oh this is a symptom but I'm not going to react to this like this is the cause like you know, I'm not going to react to a comic book like that's the cause. I'm not going to react to re- reactionary right-wing responses like those are the cause. It seems like everybody is rotating around this same planet, but it's a planet that's made of nothing but gas. 
Like everybody has become this little moon orbiting the same object, but it turns out that object is nothing substantial. It's just this empty gas. And while there is something there, there is a gas there. It's not like it's nothing, but it's certainly not a planet. It's certainly not habitable. And everybody who's orbiting this thing seems to feel put off. They seem to feel victimized. They seem to be looking for pity. They seem to be wanting to say, yeah, but you did this. And then the other side says, but you did it first. That seems to be the currency of arguments and discussion on this gaseous, non-habitable thing that people think is a planet. You know, that seems to be just the way it is with this whole identity issue in particular. And you can't get rid of your identity. You know, as much as I'm into this spiritual, you know, detaching yourself from your identity, not being defined by what you've convinced yourself your identity is, just because it's become calcified, just because you've committed to it, because you've invested to it, it doesn't make it your true identity. But that said, there are certain things that you can't avoid as a living human being in the time and place in which you live. And so even if you yourself don't identify a certain way, other people will identify you that way. So you can't completely escape the idea of your social identity, your political identity, whatever it is, whatever qualities you have that put you in a certain category, whether by choice or whether it's because somebody else put you there, whether it's probably a little bit of both. But you got to be careful not to become yet another symptom of that whole, you know, because it's nothing new either. You know, it's like it's an ancient thing that we're dealing with in modern ways. But like a lot of things, I think modernity has made it even more twisted. Or maybe modernity, modernity, maybe modernity is the product of it just becoming more twisted. Maybe it's the twisting that creates modernity. What I do know is that all of these things that we see, that we react to, that we're so sure of, that we think requires our attention, that requires us to infiltrate things, that requires us to comment on things like I'm doing right now, that makes us notice Things that we notice. Whatever it is, all of it is a symptom. And I don't even know what to give as the the proper diagnosis for the larger issue. I don't even know how to describe it, except that illustration of the idea of like a gaseous, non-inhabitable planet being orbited by millions and billions of moons... Each, each one doesn't really recognize how many darn moons are orbiting this thing together because they're all thinking about their own relationship to that big gaseous thing. They're focused more on that. Meanwhile, everybody's orbiting it. And so it's like they're thinking about their relationship to that larger gaseous thing And using that to measure their relationship to every other moon that's orbiting. I don't know where this is going. (laughs) I'm just making it up. It makes sense to me, though. Um, And I don't know. Just this identity thing has gotten things so twisted, the way people are so preoccupied with it. To the point where even I talk about it when I don't want to. But it's there. You know, there are certain things, there are conversations, there are discussions, there are ideas that you just can't avoid sometimes. And I'm sure I've said some things that would bother people in this episode. I mean, even just noticing what's going on in advertising and commercials would make someone go, oh, you because you noticed. Because that's like, I love that one. I love when people shame you for noticing something. It's always funny to me when someone shames you for noticing When it's like, hey, I'm not creating something. I might not even be reacting to it. But I'm simply noticing something. And uh, I'm not out to shame anybody else for noticing something. 
Like if a woman notices that everybody who harasses her is a man, if a woman notices that men commit most violent crime, that men make up almost all of the known serial killers throughout history, you know, I'm not going to shame her for that. Why would I? I notice it myself. And I'm not saying it in some self-defeating way either. I don't say that to be like, yeah, men suck. Because men are capable of great things too. But I'm not going to deny what men do. I'm not going to deny, you know, what men are capable of. And I would never shame somebody for noticing it. But noticing anything can be trouble. Just noticing anything can be can create trouble for you. Pointing something out. And that's always amazing when observation itself is shamed. And, you know, where I'm at in this is, is I, w- I would love if we stopped focusing on the symptoms. Even though I've used symptoms as examples in this episode, I would love it if we stopped focusing on the symptoms of our identities. Even though it's important to notice those symptoms, obviously I notice them. I don't think focusing on the symptoms is going to get us anywhere, though. I mean, how is that going to knock us out of orbit? Because it seems like that's where we're at, where it's like, all I want is to be out of orbit. I don't want to be rotating around this thing again and again. I don't care where I go. I don't care where I go. Just get me out of this orbit. I'm sick of rotating this thing. I'm sick of hearing the same things. I'm sick of the, the same people, you know, whatever it is. Whatever. I'm, I'm just sick of being here in this rotation with the same conversations, the same people, and everything kind of escalating. Everything is kind of escalating to where the next symptom is going to get worse. The next symptom is still going to be a symptom, but it's going to be something far worse because we're not treating the actual issue. And yeah, talking in abstract terms like this doesn't help anything. I mean, it makes me feel better. And maybe that's part of the road to addressing the larger issue. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about the preoccupation with identity other than the fact that people are locked in that orbit. And if it seemed like there was no other choice, like if it seemed like it was our fate or our destiny to just orbit this gaseous nothingness, over and over again throughout history, I just say that's what life is, and we just have to deal with that. But I don't think that's what life is. And to think about life that way, I think you do start retconning why you did certain things or why certain things happened to you. I think you do start seeing the world through that view. And you start to view your entire past, your entire present, and your entire future through that lens. And nothing good can come from it. Because there's, there's no solution to that. There's no treatment. It's just making noise. It's screaming. It's your soul screaming. Because it knows that it's not being used how it was meant to use. How it was meant to be used. So much for eloquence. Because I don't think this is a good use of our souls. While I will never question what any other soul wants to do or what their body wants to do with their soul, this doesn't seem like a good use of souls. But I think it's possible to feel good. I think it's possible for things to feel right. Even through all this. Because more often than not, that's what I feel. And most of what I say on this show is just pure exhaust. And by that, I don't don't mean exhaustion. I mean, it's like the exhaust vent, just shooting steam out. Speaking of steam, this show to me is just kind of me forcing steam out. It's a steam vent. 
Because I think that's part of the process, too. Is having a way to express some of these things that feel forced on you. That feel inescapable, but really aren't. None of this is inescapable. Even if certain qualities that you have that make you who you are are inescapable... This mess that we've gotten ourselves into is not inescapable. This land is mine. God gave this land to me this brave this golden land to me and when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free Hey.